0: Here's every other show in my genres is taking the week off. That gives me the opportunity to be the only thing you can listen to this week. So I'll give you a good one on this week's Cory Act Show. We spent last week, that's me, my wife, and the rest of my family, all the extended family, up in the mountains of eastern Tennessee. So I didn't have a episode for you. So this is delayed. I noticed as I was going through my normal week, Everyone seems to be taking the week off, and so if you're just looking for some content of cultural commentary from a theologically sound perspective, I might be your only option this week, unless you want to listen to fill-ins or best-of shows that other folks are giving you, and I hope I have some good stuff for you this week. I believe I do. Welcome to the Courture X Show, wherever you find podcasts. I'm glad you're here. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Threads is the other one that no one uses. Have you noticed, by the way, that Facebook and Instagram are doing that now? As you're going through your feed, there's a uh, threads posts, and you have you can accidentally get yourself over on threads. They're so desperate for us to use that thing. Anyway, you can find me. Just look for Corey Truax at any of those four places. You can email the show at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Coreytruax at gmail.com. And I oh yeah, the last thing I'll tell you is I am one of the elders over at Beechwood Church in Greenville. We meet at ten thirty on Sunday mornings. If you are in between churches, let's say, and or new to the Greenville area. Uh, New Year is a good time to start that good discipline, that thing we all need to be with believers regularly. You're invited any given Sunday morning. We'd love to have you. Now, I look back on the year. It's actually one of the only only cliche things I really love about radio and broadcasting. I love year in review shows. Most of the other cliche things I don't like to do. I I I, I like to do content. That's not everyone else is doing. Now, granted, I'm not going to do one of those for you today. I'm not going to do a uh, a look back. But I had two corresponding thoughts. One, I was thinking, what was the defining story or thread of 2023 in various categories, in politics and entertainment, in uh, in church world, what in the world? Like just going through all of those categories now, off the top of my head. In entertainment, I'm finding that thread, that theme, is aspirational art. Found it in the Gilded Age. We started watching The Crown. I'm now seeing more and more that uh, there's, our art is telling us we want to aspire to something higher. Our culture has become so low, we want an actual high society again. Even if we don't have the discipline and ability to go get it, our people desire it. In international affairs, instability has been the theme two wars going on on this globe that get a lot of press, but other wars going on and seemingly uh, high tensions in parts of the world like China wanting to finally take Taiwan in fullness. In politics, uh, general malaise and cantankerousness. Now, I would put malaise as a real theme. Uh, I've never seen a primary in my, and I'm a student of history, I've never known a primary with this type of staticness. There's in the past few primary seasons, you'll have people have crests and valleys and various uh, runs people will go on. Really, this primary since it began has been exactly the same. I mean, Nikki Haley's on a run, sort of, but that's been it. Otherwise, it's been a fairly a fairly static campaign. Over in the church world, I think the defining debate of the of the year has been the Christians' relationship to governments what's now been called the Moscow mood from the post-millennial theonomy types up in Moscow, Idaho, they have, whether we wanted it or not, they have launched us into a debate on this. They have required Christians to think about it a lot. I would say more for good, more than worse. There, there's been some for better or worse in that discussion, but more for the better that we would discuss that. And so in that realm, that, that was one thought this has been the defining debate of 2023 is how does the Christian relate to governments? I think that's a debate and discussion that deserves a lot of humility and grace because people of various of various high intellects and seriousness about Scripture come down in different places. Of course, there is some right answer, and we need to find it and go after it. Uh, but that needs to happen with a great deal of humility and grace because, I, you know what, I could be wrong about how I relate to governments, and someone else could be right. All right, so in that realm, that corresponded with a story I heard recently on NPR. It was six minutes long. I don't think I'm going to make you listen to the whole thing, but I want us as believers, that's the vast majority of my audience, to understand our cultural moment and where we are. And when we Christians say, unapologetically, yes, we think Christianity and its values and its ways are the best ones that will make business work best and make government work best and the family work best and education work best. These are the best ways. That a world that has been discipled for almost 100 years in a hard separation, not of church and state, but a hard separation of culture and church, of government and church thinking, not church as institution, but religion itself must be expelled as if secularism isn't a religion. We need to know the tenor and tone we take uh, sh- should be informed by the skepticism out there. At least I think we should be informed by that. So I want you to listen to this. I'm going to start and stop it along the way. The skepticism shown by a secular world towards Christianity when it comes to influencing culture and government. And second, for those of us who are theonomists, we do think God's ways should be instituted rightly, lawfully. And when I say lawfully, not just in the law, but the way we pursue that should be pursued lawfully in the system that we exist in which we exist. That the people we're partnering with, some of the people that have that same position, have that position from a very theologically uh, backward perspective. They came to the same answer, but their math was very different. Their formula they got to to get their answer is different than our own. All right, let's do this. Uh, we'll start and stop along the way. Here is NPR with a story about Speaker Mike Johnson and his ties to far right Christian nationalists. Here we go. House Speaker Mike Johnson is the keynote speaker at an event for a national association of lawmakers tonight. The group is working to take conservative Christian control at every level of government.
1: Now, their views go further than abolishing abortion nationwide or
0: walk. First, that ominous idea. They're trying to take. Control at every area of government. Christian conservatives, yeah. And what movement isn't the left? The left wing secularists are everywhere in between. All the all the ideologies of the world are trying to get control and institute their thinking. That's not unique to the Christian right.
1: Nationwide or walking back same-sex marital rights. At a conference that this group held earlier this year, one speaker defended the idea of the death penalty for gay people. Johnson's ties to far-right Christian movements are unprecedented for a lawmaker in such a high position of authority.
0: And some warn that those movements... It's not unprecedented, for the record. <laughs> I mean... The stuff that you guys call far right was very literally the position of every president we had up until, I don't know, Obama. The, the, the Clintons were against gay marriage, all right? the Now, the death penalty for homosexuality, I mean, that would have probably been an acceptable unacceptable public position 80 years ago. 100 years ago? It's not unprecedented. It's because you guys don't have any kind of perspective on history that you think these are insane ideas. Warned that those movements pose a great danger to American democracy. NPR's domestic extremism correspondent Odette Youssef reports. I can't believe they have one of those. A domestic extremist correspondent. Yeah, let me me guess who your domestic extremists are. Are you out there studying... uh, Oh, I will not even give examples. I I think you have a domestic extremist in mind when you started this correspondent
1: reports. Back in February, Mike Johnson organized a prayer event in D.C. for members of Congress. This was not the 70-year-old bipartisan national prayer breakfast. This was a new gathering, the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. And to Matthew Taylor, the whole thing felt eerily familiar.
0: They had a a number of elements that were very overt references to the spirituality of January 6th.
1: Including the sound of a shofar, a ram's horn. It comes from the Jewish tradition.
0: Right. So, I've already critiqued them a good bit. But I think you, we that do believe Christianity has an important place in all of culture recognize that some of your partners who think that are the shofar people. They're the people who have the ram's horn and blow it for some unknown reason because they, I guess they think it has some kind of mystical power. This is the part me trying to make sure we all understand uh, that the movement we're in might have some own its problems we've got to take care of internally.
1: Taylor is a religious scholar at the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies in Baltimore.
0: They had pauses in the, in the ceremony where they, they, they had people on stage blowing shofars. And then they have prayers of repentance, prayers of spiritual warfare over the, the country.
1: The tone, message, and involvement of certain evangelical leaders put into public view Johnson's connections with figures that Taylor considers to be Christian extremists. Johnson is a Southern Baptist, but it's his ties with a particular network of non-denominational charismatic Christians that's drawing scrutiny. The network is known as the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR.
0: Ah, there lies the problem. First, for this Taylor guy who considers people who might have prayers of repentance and prayers of spiritual warfare over the country, that he calls us extremists. I don't care. I don't particularly care that you call me that. Now, grant this. The prayer that would be prayed in a highly theologically serious, reformed congregation like the one I am a part of. We're praying spiritual warfare about our country. It's going to sound a little different. It's going to be more lofty and more about God's sovereignty over the uh, the ideologies that arrayed against King Jesus. Yes, prayers of repentance are probably going to sound, again, more lofty than this group. But this is the other part of the... Um, the reason I'm doing this, I'm doing it for two reasons. One, we hear the skepticism, and I, I want to dis, disarm it and, and say to you, don't be don't be de- deferred or demurred by their skepticism. A lot of their complaints are illegitimate, but also recognize our Southern Baptist Speaker of the House that we're all excited about does get involved in these new ap- new Apostolic Reformation people. If you're unfamiliar with them, you need to get familiar. The Christianity that's often growing in Asia and Africa often comes from them who thinks there are still apostles speaking for God, that there's new revelation, these very charismatic, we-need-miracles type people. That's who's often involved in trying to theonomize the world as well. We should at least be aware of that.
1: The movement is small but growing quickly, and so is its political influence. Its followers believe there is a theological imperative to bring America under, quote, biblical governance. They have a plan. It's known as the Seven Mountains Mandate or Dominion Theology.
0: I've covered this many times. Again, they didn't come up with the Seven Mountains. Anthropologists came up with those seven categories of how cultures work. And I don't have them off the top of my head, but it's things like uh, family, government, arts, media, like news media, to, uh, education, there's more. Uh, the, and so I've said, that they, this, yes, the Dominionists, the NAR people are nutty, but those categories are good. It's good that Christianity would be influential in the boardroom, or that's that's business, that's one I forgot, the boardroom where we're making dis- making decisions about what compensation is fair, what insurance plans are best, what work-life balance is best so husbands can and, and wives can raise their kids and be and spend time together and not be at work 24-7. It's good for it to be there, and then it's good to go over to not just the boardroom, but to the committee room and discuss what kind of laws would be best. And this Christian ideas will be not just good in the boardroom and in the committee room, but they need to go on over to the, let me think of another another room here, go over to the interrogation room and be in criminal justice and go over to the, operating room and be, be there. It's important, yes, that we're in all of the places. Uh, but here Now here's more about these NAR dominionists. Bludgy. Dominionism is the theocratic idea that Christians are called by God to exercise dominion over every aspect of society by taking control of political and cultural institutions. Again, the, the, the ideology of everybody, the secular leftists thinks that their secular humanism needs to be Influential in everything. This isn't, again, this isn't unique. The communist, the socialist, the capitalist, everybody thinks their ideas need to be influential in every part of society. And cultural institutions. Fred
1: Clarkson is with Political Research Associates, a nonprofit that tracks the far right. He's followed the Christian right for many years. Clarkson says it's notable that among Johnson's close affiliates is a former pastor named James Garlow. Identify the, sphe- the seven spheres of influence. Garlow is a hardline anti-abortion and anti-gay marriage activist. He's also a leader in the NAR. Garlow promotes a theocratic vision for America, one where Christians control every major aspect of society. The seven spheres of influence are the home, The church, civil government, business, which includes technology, arts and entertainment, which includes professional sports, education, and the last one is media. But as leaders in this movement pursue...
0: Okay, so those are the seven I forgot. Now, again, I want to make clear here and equip you for those that show skepticism, fear over Christians trying to exert influence, recognize this theme of mine. Everybody's doing that. So go through all seven of those. Is secular humanism trying to in- exert its influence in the home? Yes. By saying the nuclear family isn't necessary. We can adopt children into gay households. Divorce is normal. We'll have a bunch of mixed families. It's, it's caused destruction. But secular humanism has exerted it, its influence on the home. It has tried to exert its influence on the church and get the church to change its standards for uh, who you're the, the roles of men and women in the church, or how uh, how a church is, is structured. And it's been successful, secular humanism has, in a lot of denominations. Obviously, secular humanism is, is a religion that's tried to affect its civil government and business. That's what the uh, ESG, environmental social governance thing, has been. The, the Secularism has tried to influence how business works, how, what it prioritizes. Same thing with arts and entertainment. He said that includes professional sports. It's been one of the annoying things about professional sports the last, call it, 15 years. That product, which was for everybody, leftism, secularism, has tried to get in there and make points with with sports. And then, of course, education, media. It's everywhere. So when, when we're accused of trying to influence things, just recognize, okay, yeah, we're just one competing worldview. We, and we, we believe King Jesus is going to win, but don't. Fault us for doing what everyone else is doing at, at the same time. And we can say that humbly without any aggression. I think I probably sound a little aggressive right now. Back to the story.
1: To biblical governance in the U.S., they understand it's not a popular idea. Only 6% of Americans espouse the idea of Christian control over society.
0: Let's pause on that. It's something for us to recognize who do want Christian influence over everything. Inside your own churches, you are very likely a tiny minority. The functional ideology of the American Christian is much more libertarian. Their functional ideology is that we live and let live, leave everybody alone. We want the government to get everyone to leave us alone, but everyone do whatever you want. Our we idolize freedom. I've idolized it in the past to even an unhealthy uh, unhealthy extent that we recognize that even when you say Christian things in your churches, you might be a part of a 6% group in your church, and so you sound a little nutty. Now we got to decide, how do we then want to bring people along to this idea that only 6% of people think is is normal? I would argue that needs to be very strategic, uh, and that we don't be too brash, and that we aren't too brash with it. Back to the
1: story survey by the Public Religion Research Institute, and the number of self-identified and church-attending Christians has been declining in the U.S.
0: I've seen a tremendous uptick in the rhetoric of violence among prominent Christian right leaders. I don't believe you. I pay attention to a lot of Christian right leaders, and I hear none of the violence or the rhetoric regarding violence.
1: Clarkson says some in the movement talk about more than just spiritual warfare.
0: Dominionist sorts for the New Apostolic Reformation in particular. Uh, where they're predicting civil war and they're clear about the needing to take out uh, God's enemies in the end times. Now talking about a civil war isn't, is it by its nature, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like desirable. There's a movie out right now on Netflix called, I forget what it's called, uh, but it's about the end of the world. Julia Roberts is in it. The, the punchline of the movie, the final scene, spoiler alert, spoiler alert here, skip forward by about a minute if you don't want it ruined, is that the enemies of the United States might institute, might, no, that's the wrong word, instigate, instigate a civil war in the United States with a particular strategy and get us to kill each other. I've been saying for now almost 15 years of broadcasting, we're in a cold civil war. We're not killing each other yet, but we do hate each other at a, at a level of wanting to separate We'll talk about the Civil War a little bit later, by the way, with a Nikki Haley comment. That that should That's not violent language. That's saying, man, if things don't change, that's the way things could go. States will start wanting to separ- separate from each other, and that could lead to violence. Now, again, problem. Here's this post-mill theonomy world saying one thing about Christians needing influence, but then you have the NAR folks saying the same thing and then saying, because the end times are coming, and things need to deteriorate for Jesus to come back, and that could, that could lead to violence. They're talking, they're saying the same thing, but got there a different way. We need to be precise about how, we're, how we explain it for ourselves. Uh, just a little bit more of the story. I know we can't do, we can't just keep doing this. It's already been a, a long time. Uh, let me find my button again, and here is the story.
1: But the movement has also seen, in recent years, that there is another path to power. And that path was The presidency. Andrew Whitehead of Indiana University, Purdue University, says Donald Trump was actually a perfect test of the power of Christian nationalism. Because he wasn't personally invested in looking like he was a committed Christian. Instead, Trump positioned himself as a renegade populist, not someone pursuing a theological agenda.
0: But he was committed to using the rhetoric of Christian nationalism and promising access to political power for those groups,
1: NAR leaders were early to endorse Trump when he ran in 2016.
0: After he, and I think that's my final thought. I, I want to give It's just we we should recognize as well how tied up this thinking is, or at least the public perception of this movement of Christians saying out loud, "Yeah, we think Christianity should." Be the dominant force in a culture and that it will be good for everybody. Unfortunately, that movement is tied to the most unpopular person in American public life, the most toxic person in American public life. This is why this is a, a long term project, because he, that personality, who seems to be now ascended, probably coming back onto the scene, is going to have to fade. All right, that's it. I could, there's two more minutes of that story, but I just really wanted to give you those two things. There's skepticism. There's fear about people saying out loud, Christianity should be dominant. We should be able to respond, Hey, 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 that's not new. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants their ideology to be. Uh, everybody wants their ideology to be ascendant in a culture because they think it's good for everybody. And we we, we believe that. We think where Christianity thrives, a people will thrive. They'll do really well with Christian thinking. And we can even look back on the past and show that there were some real problems in this country. But uh, at the same time, when families were intact, when businesses were not just about shareholder value, when education was about the the moral formation, what what came along was actual better educational outcomes too. We were smarter. We had better cognition. Don't you want Christian thinking informing what people are designing to be on your apps, on your kids' tablets and phones? I know I do. So we want to be able to respond to that. And then second, we should be aware there's people that use a lot of the same Jesus language and they are the NAR people are not coming fr- coming at it from the same way we are. I'll play this little sound for you one final thing on this and I have more topics for you. I just think this is great. It, it went semi viral. Some Christians walked into a a Walmart in Kansas City, Missouri and started caroling. It wasn't many. And it By the end, it sounded like this. What you're about to hear, Uh, I don't know. This is 50, 60 people just gathered in the produce section, and I I think the original carolers were like five or six people. But here's how what it sounded like by the end. That might be closer to 100 people gathered. Uh, it's one, one of the pictures, those of us who do want a more Christianized world. We'd love for that to be more normal. Uh, if people are going to sing in public, they sing, He Alone is Worthy, and it's not a Nicki Minaj song that people are singing along with all together. I said the most significant debate all year long, and I think we're going to have it again next year because it's an election year and it can get nasty. The debate has been about what we're supposed to do with the law, what Christians are supposed to do with biblical thinking, biblical law in a modern age, and all year long. I've been telling you, I've been trying to apply that biblical thinking to our modern world, looking at the Old Testament law. We've talked about a lot of examples. One of them has been that these regulations about what you do when you you dig a hole, or because you don't want someone's ox to fall into it, and what you might need to pay in recompense if someone does hurt their animal because you were irresponsible with the hole that you dug, or if your, your ox accidentally gores someone and hurts them. And while I know that's unlikely, that your ox, because you don't own one, has fell in a hole or gored somebody, the modern day equivalent to that might have happened to you, and I think that modern day equivalent is when you get hurt at work or hurt in a car accident. Listen, those things are Really severe. Medical be- medical bills pile up. But you're trying to figure out what to do as you're hurt. The process is quite complicated, and you're just trying to get justice to get your life right again. If that's happened to you in a car accident or getting hurt hurt at work, I don't want you to be intimidated by it. I've got someone I want to point you towards his name is Samuel Harms. He's an attorney here in Greenville. You can Google him. It's Samuel Harms, H-A-R-M-S. Uh, it's uh, as in stay out of Harms way. His number is 864-666-6666. Samuel Harms, attorney at Law Freel. Don't try to do those things alone. Get in touch with Samuel Harms to get some help. Uh, it's Samuel Harms here in Greenville. His address is 33 Market Point Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29607. The number is 666-6666. Real, if you have been hurt, because someone didn't cover their hole, or you are have been hurt by someone's modern-day ox, their car, in a car accident or hurt at work, give Samuel Harms a call. Don't try to navigate it alone. It's Samuel Harms at 666-6666. A few more things I want to do today. Uh, yeah, one more reminder. No, No prophecies I want to give you for the new year. As some shows do, they look back on 2023 and then look forward on the year and try to give you predictions. More want to give you counsel and a warning. We really need to be the people of peace. It's about to be Trump year again. I don't even say his name much on the show because I know it causes such a reaction in people, positive and negative. It's election year. We gotta be the people of peace. That doesn't mean not saying true and hard things. But it, it does mean some stuff that I'm I'm already seeing, I'm already discouraged by on the internet. I've already got people trying to bind consciences to to say to Christians, Trump's enemies are so devilish, you must vote for him. You must support him, period, bottom line. Don't, don't be those people in the new year. Don't bind consciences that way. Can I also tell you that chastisement is not as effective as convincing? Sometimes chastisement is, and correction are necessary when you have the proper authority and you're based in the scriptures. But I, I can just tell you, convincing someone, trying to bring them over, and having that tone is way better than trying to guilt someone into doing, doing something. Again, that's not, that's not trying to exclude the idea of calling out sin. We got to do that. But the the tone next year, I if it's like 2016, if it's like 2020, it's just a lot of cantankerous guilting of one another as we can accuse each other of various levels of immorality. I don't want it. And I, not only do I not want it, I'm, I'm asking you, whoever you are, just be a person of peace. Believing that the Lord knows what he's doing. Something's going to happen next November. Something's going to happen in August and July when these godless parties meet in various cities. And you can be a person of peace. Don't let it freak you out. You know, One of the broadcasters I listen to at least once or twice a week, he's making a very good point that next November it is very likely that no matter the outcome on TV, tens of millions of people are going to say it's illegitimate and cheated. Either way, that there was cheating or illegitimacy one way or the other, and people won't accept an outcome. Don't let that be you, especially outside of outside of uh, really solid evidence of that. Don't let it just be you that if it doesn't go the way you want, that you just call it illegitimate. If you have arguments you want to make on that, I'm, like the leg- legitimacy of elections, I'm willing to interact with them. I've likely interacted with everything you've interacted with. I've, I've watched the documentaries. Uh, but I don't want us to be the people that cause rancor because we are conspiracy theory- theorizing over election outcomes. So that's I guess that's it for the new year. It's it, it can get rough online. It can get rough in person. Be a person of peace, not of rancor. All right, now, two political stories and I think we're done. Uh, Nikki Haley is somewhat transcendent to be second place in the Republican primary at a rally in New Hampshire. Here are the facts of the case. She was asked about the Civil War for some reason. I don't know who's asking that at a rally. That's a very weird question to ask. And she did not bring up slavery as one of the reasons for the Civil War. Because she did not bring up slavery for reasons uh, reasons for the Civil War. She took a bludgeoning from her fairly moderate base. I, I kind of like Nikki Haley myself. And so she walked that back and says, Of course, it's slavery. And so then I see the online interactions that are myopic and small minded and they don't allow for enough nuance. So I just want to give you my quick take as a bit of an historian, that is my undergraduate degree, on how to think about the Civil War. If the question is, Was it about slavery? The answer is yes, in part. Yes. In part, it was the, um, I, I don't, don't believe the people who straight up say, it had nothing to do with slavery, it had to do with states' rights. Yeah, 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 it did. It was in your constitution. The Confederate constitution enshrined slavery. It's one of the things that was most being protected. Or, you'll hear, it wasn't about slavery, it was about economics. Right, right, right. Because the southern states' economic output was largely due to slave labor. The North had started to industrialize, creating machines to do things humans down here were doing. And so, yeah, there was an economic threat, but again, that was directly related to slavery. So, was it about slavery? Yes, in part. This is why it's complicated. It's complicated because I would argue now and would have argued then. If a state wants to leave, can they? I would say yes. States are, or should be, autonomous enough to leave the Union and say, we don't want to be a part of this anymore. For example, 2017, after Trump was elected and California had some folks talking about seceding, I would say to them, good, that's good. If you want to do that, you should. If Texas were to want to secede, I would hope South Carolina would go with it and create its own new nation. That might be one of the things that needs to happen on this continent. That We had a good 200-plus year run, but people's fray and fall apart and I would argue, yes, it's it's good to to separate. It's if there's if there's a good reason, but one of the driving reasons to separate was to maintain slavery. So you're a you're a person fighting in that war, and the vast majority of the southern soldiers were never slave owners, and they are believing the argument. Uh, well, the federal government of the United States is trying to hold on to something that's not theirs, which is. M- My state that is sovereign, and so I'm going to go fight off a tyrannical federal government that's trying to tell us we can't leave. And that soldier is likely believing slavery's fine, and when we defeat the federal government, we're going to have it as an institution. The one thing is good, being able to tell the federal government to shove it and have an autonomous state. The other thing is horrific evil, the enslavement of another human, especially based on just ethnicity. All right, so that's, the, that's it. I just wanted to give you that. I wish we had the nuance to be able to talk about it better. And if you have arguments you want me to interact with about the Civil War from 160 years ago, uh, you can get me, Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or threads. I think, yeah, this is the final thing I want to do. Maybe two more. Also in the political world, there was this uh, impeachment inquiry launched into the Bidens. I think it's likely good just to get some questions answered. I said back in 2019, as soon as President Trump was impeached for the Ukrainian stuff, Ukrainian phone call, I said then on the air. I can go back and find the clip. I said we're going to impeach every president from here on out, and I believe that. I think we're probably going to impeach Biden, and he won't be um, he won't be convicted, and he'll just stay. And then whoever the next president is, if it's Desantis or Haley, uh, they'll be impeached, and because there there will never be sixty votes in the Senate, they'll always stay. Or sixty six votes, I think it is. And then we'll, when Gavin Newsom is president in twelve years or whatever it is, he'll be impeached because that's how we do it here. You impeach a, excuse, excuse me, you elect a president, the people in the middle that helped elect him get dis disabused of all their notions that this person was going to make a difference and so the opposing party takes the House of Representatives the next election. That's happened literally my entire lifetime for every president. And then they'll impeach him because we have now created a world where that's, that's just one of our mechanisms of saying, we don't like you. We just impeach. Now, on that re- realm though, because it has happened, it has required media to ask some questions I wanted, I wanted answered. For example, I wanted answered uh, a question about a text message that Hunter Biden sent his daughter that said, eh, Don't worry, I won't make I won't make you give me half your salary like Pop did. That sounds suspicious. I wanted an answer for that. W- what do you mean you gave your half your salary to your dad? Half your salary your salary was coming from companies in China and Ukraine that you didn't deserve to have their jobs. You only used you didn't have, you sorry, you didn't deserve to have those jobs. You use your name to get them. Well, he—that's now been given explanation. If it's in the New York Times, if you want to read it, they have witnesses saying Hunter has been telling that story for thirty or some thirty-some odd years. That when he and his brother turned eighteen, as a part of, part of a fatherly strategy, the elder Biden, Joseph Biden, said to his sons, "Go work your jobs, and because you're getting room and board at my house, you're going to give me half of what you make." So one of them worked at a zoo, one of them worked at a uh un- unloading unloading fish I think it was in like a harbor and they gave half their money to their father. And he is the argument is Hunter is saying to his daughter, I won't make you do that. Believe it if you want. Um I think it's plausible. I think there's some other things to look into there, but I as we go into this, I want people obviously on the right that's people who listen to me to be uh to be open no don't don't just believe immediately what someone on the right tells you on a podcast there are sometimes even for your enemies sometimes decent explanations for things that does not that explanation of that text does not clear the rest of the questions I have and I have lots of questions for the, the bidens uh, but I wanted you to hear that in case you didn't that there's been that explanation offered and that's it I had some like looking back some more things but I've already gone for almost 40 minutes and that's about as long as I think anyone should ever listen to me Hey, thank you for an incredible 2023. I'm hopeful for some more growth in 2024 with the show. As always, I'm always grateful when you share the show. For those that support monthly, that's huge. Thank you for being that, uh, being that generous the way that you are. And uh, hopefully next year, we'll continue to provide you, best I can, biblically informed and entertaining content for what's going on in the world around you. Uh, with, if the Lord allows, I'll be back with another new edition of the True Act Show next week. Until then, everybody. Peace and love. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas.